Christianity makes towering claims, truth claims about itself. And these truth claims will make many people feel very uncomfortable. And it makes sense because if you are seeking truth, like real truth, if you're going to go through a paradigm shift, then it means everything that you've been clinging to, everything that you've been building your life around, it's just crumbled. And when that happens, well, that's terrifying to look at. You want to avoid that. But if you're willing to muster up the strength to look at something that's true and go through that truth, you wind up on the other side comforted by a comfort that's from outside of this world. If you're willing to go through an internal struggle, you're going to find peace on the other side. And whenever you wrestle with truth, it's going to bring pain into your life. It's going to be bring pain in your heart because there are things that you're holding on to. Its tendrils are in you. And when you find a new truth, a paradigm-shifting truth, the tendrils are being pulled from your heart, and it's painful, and it's ache, it, it aches. So I am willing to put you through a bit of pain so that on the other side of it, you might find greater life. I'm willing to jab at your mind a bit. I'm willing to jab at your soul so that you might find something good and beautiful at the end of it. And I'm willing to do that with you because I'm willing to do it with myself. Because I want to live that way. I want to live saying, all right, if there is something true and I don't know it, I want to be willing, however painful it is, to face that truth. So I might come out the other side transformed and renewed. And the degree that you're a leader for the people around you, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, the degree that you're able to help them navigate the waters, I mean, the, the, the rapid type waters of finding truth is the, the degree that you're able to create a remedy for them. You can help bring them from fear to courage. You can help bring them from anxiety to peace. You can help bring them from sorrow to joy and from death to life. And truth will do that to you and it will do that to the people that you love. But then the question becomes, what if we get in a bit of trouble by bringing a truth to the table? What if we're gonna cause ourselves pain by bringing truth into the life of others? Should we still tell the truth? And the answer is absolutely yes. But you do it with complete love. Not trying to pound someone into the ground or to prove them wrong, but out of love you tell them what is true. And you're willing to walk through the pain. You can't just drop truth bombs and walk away. You're willing to, to tenderly take them through the pain that the truth is bringing and you walk with the pain through them to the other side. We're in week 10 of our series called Our Hearts Burn Within. And the premise of the series is that there has been a truth that has been deposited into your heart. It's causing your heart to burn. It's causing you to awaken. It's giving you a passion and an energy and a life. And that truth that's now burning within you, it's like this volcano ready to erupt. And that's what happens in our verses today. We're looking at the story of Peter now, Peter 
he has just proclaimed a sermon and he's gotten himself in some, some trouble for the sermon. And he's been arrested. So let me read the story to you. Acts 4, verse 1 through 12. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus. Now, who was teaching? It was, it was Peter and John. And they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus He's the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be staved. First point. That was an amen. First point. Peter's transformation. All right, so Peter, this is, this is a redemption story because Peter has just gone from a coward. He's gone from a failure, a betrayer, a denier of his savior. And now he stands before us as a bold, heroic leader, leading the world into some new truth. Or a truth that's been searched for centuries. So, okay, let's fast forward two months before Peter is giving this sermon. Two, biblical times, two months ago, okay, a little less. Peter's with Jesus. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times. Peter says, no way. Jesus, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. I am yours. I will take out a sword and I will do battle against anything that stands before us. I'm with you all the way into the darkness, all the way into the evil. I'm not going anywhere. And Jesus says, Peter, you are not what you think you are. The wake-up call is coming. The rooster is going to crow, and after the rooster crows, you will see that you have denied me three times. Peter says, no way, I won't do it. Later, Jesus is praying in a garden. And as he's praying, this whole battalion of warriors begins to approach. I mean, it's a huge group of unmatched warriors are approaching. And, and they're outnumbered, the disciples are. And then Judas, the betrayer, steps forward. And he comes up to Jesus and he gives him a kiss. And that's the signal. That's our man. That's our Jesus. That's the one we came to arrest. Let's get him. And as these warriors step forward... Peter unsheaths a sword and cuts off the ear of one of these warriors. And so you're watching this happen, and, and you're like, all right, 
maybe Peter's got it in him. Like maybe Peter is really willing to follow Jesus to the ends of the earth. And right when you're ready to cheer Peter on, Jesus says, Peter, put down that sword. I am not here to face, to battle against these battle-hungry men. I am not here to come against mankind. I am here to fight for mankind. Peter, what this means is I'm about to face the monster of sin. I'm about to face the snarling wolf of death. I'm about to enter into hell. I'm going to fight. Put down the sword. That's the real battle. So Peter puts down the sword, and then Jesus is arrested. And then Jesus is drugged. He's taken before this group of people called the Sanhedrin. These are, these are like the religious elite of the day. We've got the, high, the old high priest, Annas, the new high priest, Caiaphas. We've got the temple guard, and we've got about 70 elders of elite religious men who are ruling over this temple. And he appears before them, and there's a half circle that forms. And as Jesus steps forward, they begin to question him. And they say, you're guilty. And they sentence him to death. That's the kind of power these men have. Now, where is Peter while this is happening? Well, Peter has snuck into the temple. And he's at a distance, and he's peering through, and he's watching this trial as it's happening. And as he's watching, a girl comes up and says, hey, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? Aren't you one of his guys? Peter says, no, that's not me. I do not follow that man. And then she says, ah, later, I think maybe you are, and some other people become suspicious of him. And he says, no, that is not me. That's not who I am. You've got the wrong guy. And then he's asked again. And when he's asked again, he says, I swear by heaven that I do not follow Jesus. And as soon as that happens, the rooster crows, the crowd parts, Jesus' eyes lock on Peter, Peter's eyes lock on Jesus, and he is struck by his cowardice, by his fear. He's filled with shame and guilt for what he has done. He can't take it anymore, and he runs away like a coward. Now, fast forward. A little less than two months after that, Peter has just given a sermon that has gotten him into a lot of trouble. He's been arrested. He's there arrested with John. Maybe the crippled man that's been healed is with him too. And as they wait in the jail cell overnight, the morning sun rises, shines into the jail cell. He hears the keys clanking as the jailer comes forward. And the door opens up and the jailer takes him right to the courtroom doors. The door clicks open and Peter enters in. And what's before him is a half circle of the Sanhedrin. The same men who had the same power to crucify Jesus Christ. He knows what he's up against. What's he going to do? Is he going to deny Jesus all over again? Is he going to run away out of fear like a coward? It's not what he does. He stands before them and he says some words that get him into more trouble. He's not backing down. Jesus is present. No, Peter has now been transformed and he's ready to face the dragon of death. He's got some moxie to him now. He's got some grit. He's got some strength. The question we have to figure out is what has transformed Peter? And what has gotten him into so much trouble? 
Here's our second point. The absolute exclusive truth claim. Here's what Peter has said that's got him in so much trouble. There is no other name under heaven by which someone may be saved. Salvation is in Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone. Done, period. He's our only way, our only shot. It's an absolute truth claim. Now, let's talk about absolute truths. Our culture today sees absolute truth claims as dirty, as wrong, as vile, immoral even. And our culture says, look, you have your beliefs, I will have my beliefs. Don't bother me with what you believe. And don't you dare come up to me and say that your ways are superior to mine. Telling me something as if I need to know this because I don't have what it takes to enter into heaven. Don't you dare do that because that's seen as prideful, arrogant, and insensitive. Why is that happening? Why can't we do this? Because here's why. We live in what's known as a pluralistic society. And it's a society that has multiple belief systems, multiple paths. And so we've got to get along. And so what, what begins to rise to the top is this way of thinking that always are good, always lead to heaven. And it's the same society that Peter is speaking into. It's a Greco-Roman society. And what we have is we have the Jewish people, we have the Romans, and we have the Greeks. And the Romans are the ones who are really in charge. And what Peter has said has somehow like got this Jewish elite in some major one like concerned, but they're also really offended. Why are they offended? Because Peter has just said, you know what? You guys had one job. Your job was to know the scriptures and to know them so well that when the Messiah finally comes, when the one who's come to save the world comes, you would recognize him and know him and point us to him. But instead of finding him, you killed him. You murdered the son of God. But God has raised him from the dead. And then he starts talking about this resurrection. Now, there's a, in this group, there's a lot of what's known as the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in an afterlife. They did not believe in a resurrection. And Peter is proclaiming something that he is not authorized to proclaim. And he's got a following, and they're really angry about this. This is the beginning of their plot to kill Peter and the disciples. But, but they're not just angry, they're concerned. Because the Romans, they're the ones in charge. And the Jewish people have to answer to the Romans. And if the Jewish people can't control their people, well, they're going to get in trouble. The Romans are going to say, hey, we're here and we're about to fix this. If you don't fix it right now, you're going to be in trouble with us. And you don't want to be in trouble with the Romans. Now, what's, what's the Romans' deal? Well, they have this philosophy. Believe whatever you want to believe. Worship whoever you want to worship. Just make sure you declare that Caesar is your Lord. You can believe everything. We don't care. But don't you say your belief is greater. Your God is greater than Caesar. You must bow to Caesar. Now, it's trickery because what it's saying is, hey, it's fine. We're pluralistic, too. We 
We believe in no absolute truths, but yet what we find is they're, they are putting an absolute truth claim on the people that they are ruling. They claim no absolutes, but demand one. They say, hey, you're free, but this is not freedom. Now, okay, do we experience this today? Yeah, there's actually a lot of ways we experience it. And one way that I want to point out, and it's on the roads as you drive every day, and it's sneaky, and what you're going to find when you're driving is that there's a bumper sticker, and the bumper sticker says, coexist. Now, before I go, like, some of you might have that, and some of you might be like, oh, when you see that, like, I like that. Now, again, I just want to enter into the pain of truth-finding, okay? And we're going to figure this out together. So, what is coexist saying? It spells out coexist with all the different symbols of different religions. And what it's saying is all of these are good. All of these are leading to the same place. All of these should be respected. And it's like, okay, yeah, we're, we're finding some peace here. This is a good thing. Only what you don't realize is when people are saying coexist is the right way, they're saying we have a bird's eye view. And we're looking down as the authority, and we're seeing all these religions, and we're here to tell you that all of them are good and all of them lead to the same place. So what they have just done is given a superiority claim, and they're claiming an absolute truth while saying there is no absolute truth. It's sneaky. And there's two major problems with it. First, most of these religions that are on this bumper sticker, they're claiming an absolute truth. So to impose on them that they can't claim an absolute truth is to act like Caesar is acting to them. It's to say, you can believe whatever you want, but you better follow our rule. You know, if, if a pastor and a rabbi and an imam, which is a, a Muslim leader, if they're hanging out, they can have some common grace towards each other, they can respect each other, but they will tell you that they don't all believe the same thing. Not at all. They'll tell you that. Here's the second problem. Second problem is that coexist is claiming, it's, it's, it's our culture, really. I mean, the bumper sticker is not the problem, it's our culture. And it's claiming a superiority over us. And it's saying, hey, we know what is good and true and right. And you should follow it. And if you don't, you're being immoral about it. So they're holding a truth claim over us saying that there is no truth. It's so sneaky. And here's why it's so important. Because it means that there are absolutes. And if you look at your life, like really take a real look at it, you'll find that you can't actually operate like there aren't absolute truth claims. Like there aren't absolute truths. You could say there's no absolutes, but if you remove any sense of absolute truth from your life, you're going to have nothing to walk on. It's too chaotic. And finally, you're going to be like, I got to land somewhere because I can't live like this. C.S. Lewis says, to see through everything is to see nothing at all. If you see nothing, you just fall in infinite space. You've got to have a foundation to land upon. So what is the most authentic thing to do is to say, I do have an absolute truth that I live by. And find it. Like, maybe you don't know what it is, but to find it. That's the most authentic thing to do. And then to say, now that I know what it is, I'm going to reorient my life around this truth. 
And it's to say, okay, I'm willing to now say, yes, I have an absolute. And what that does is that brings us to the table. And that brings us as humanity to say, let's figure it out. Let's put everything to the test. Let's see what rises up to the top. Peter is doing just that. And he's ready to die saying that Christ is the only way. He's our only shot. Run to him. And he's saying it's a good way. Like it's right. It's going to bring flourishing in your life. And if Christianity does transform, then shouldn't we tell people about it? It's, it's like, hey, there's, there's no cure for cancer and you have cancer and you have stumbled upon the cure of it. Now, what are you going to do with this information? Are you going to share it or hold it to yourself? Because if you hold it to yourself, well, that's pretty immoral, right? But if we, if we take and apply religion to that, what society would say is, don't say you've got the only cure for cancer. That's rude. Suppress yourself. Don't share this. That seems pretty immoral. But the society is saying, but you must so they're asking us to do something that's immoral for us, but they're telling us it's immoral if you say it. And I promise you right now, so, like, don't think that our culture has not influenced you in this. You are far more quiet about your faith than you realize. So what do you do? Well, it means you, you're bold and you're wise, but you're driven by love. Your motive is love. You're not trying to pound people to the ground proving that they're wrong. You are motivated out of love to enter into the truths that they're holding so dear to. And like as a friend, walk through it with them. Go navigate through the waters and be willing to go through the pain that they're experiencing as you arrive in this wide world of truth in Christianity. And I might have lost a few of you back a little bit. Not because of the truth, absolute truth claims, but because you may have gotten hung up and you might have thought, Peter, Peter's just saying this, but Jesus didn't believe that about himself. Jesus didn't believe that he was the only way. This is what the disciples are making up. They're too heartbroken about seeing their leader fall and, they, and die, and they don't want to have wasted their life, and so now they're going to commit the rest of their life to saying that Jesus is this only way. And if you're saying that Jesus never said this, well, I just would invite you to open up the Bible and take an honest look at his claims. There is no reason that he is killed unless he's making absolute truth claims about himself. He's making divinity claims about himself. They're accusing him of blasphemy. And they say, crucify him. He has just made himself equal to God. That's why he's in trouble. And he makes these statements, before Abraham was, I am. That is a clear divinity statement from the I am statements, pointing back to the Old Testament where God says, I am who I am. And I want you to know this. No other religion has someone like Jesus. No other religion is saying, hey, it's me, come to me. Other religions are saying, here's the way. Like Buddha is saying, here's the way to nirvana. There's prophets and sages pointing up. You know what Jesus is doing? He's pointing to himself 
And he's saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's not pointing up, he's pointing to himself, a person. The truth above all truths, the meta-truth, the grand truth, it's all pointing to him. And then he says in John 5, but listen, don't take my word for it. Look at my miracles. But then he says, I've got something even better for you than the miracles. Look at the scriptures. They're all pointing right at me. I'm the fulfillment of all of it. And you know, the Jewish people of the day, like they believed these are God's words. They took them seriously. The claim that he is making is an absolute truth claim of monumental proportion. And so you either kill him, you write him off as a lunatic, or you bow down and worship him. And there's really no in-between. He has claimed too much. But this exclusive truth, it's not what transforms Peter. What transforms Peter is the inclusive truth of Christianity. Okay. Now, how could Christianity both be exclusive, like the only way, and inclusive at the same time? Because in Christianity, Christ is the only way. That's the exclusive part. The inclusive part is that all can come to him. There's nothing that's stopping you. In Judaism, you have to be born a Jew or at least to the Israelite family. In Islam, there is a strict set of rules to live by. And if you're honest, well, you're probably not going to measure up. And there's a bloodline if you want to be up at the top that you got to be in. If you're into Buddhism... To achieve nirvana, I mean, it's basically keeping most of us out. But in Christianity, all are welcome. You just have to know that you need him. doesn't matter how dumb or smart you are, how rich or poor you are, who you're born to, where you're born to, none of it matters. <coughs> it doesn't matter what you've done. The vile things that you won't even tell your spouse, the vile things that you're so embarrassed to share about, he knows them, and he says, come, I'll be gracious. <coughs> the bum, the prisoner who's done so much wrong, the weekly churchgoer who is committed to living a righteous life but has no idea what grace is, even there, even they are welcome. <coughs> the promises of Christianity are amazing and they're available to all. Nothing is keeping you out. It's just right there. And that for Peter is what transformed him. That's what took him from being a denier, a betrayer, a coward, a man that's full of fear. He went from that to a transformed, bold, courageous man for the sake of Christ. Because what he saw is he saw the weight of his sin. He saw everything he did wrong, and it was pressing in on him. It was tormenting him. And then he found grace with Christ on a beach, the resurrected Christ. And Christ says, do you love me? Yes, well, good, then go feed my sheep. And here he begins that process. This is the equation for transformation. Because if Christ is the resurrection, that's the claim. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And all are welcome to come to him. Then that means the power of the resurrection is in him. And that means, well, that means a lot of th anything's possible. 
That means a world can be transformed. That means everything changes. That means all are welcomed. Like the source of life, you go to him and, and you found that you're forgiven from the courtroom and then you go out into freedom. And as you look out in freedom, you're like, wow, look at all the temptation for me now that I'm a Christian. But then far off in the distance, you see that you're Christ. And he says, live like me and follow me. And you're like, it's impossible. And he says, no, no, I have died and risen so that you might have the power to catch up to me. Not that you'll be perfect in this life but you will be transformed in him. That's the equation for transformation. And that gives you all of the promise. I mean, the, the promises are available to all people. You will be forgiven past, present, future sins. No matter what you've done, you're in, you're his, and he's not gonna let you go because you gave yourself to him once and he's not letting you go. In the resurrection, like, he went into death and he broke up out of it. And that means that this world matters to God. And it means it should matter to you. And it means that there is going to come a day where he will return and make all things right. And there's nothing that's going to stop him. And it means for your suffering that through the cross there's resurrection. And that means God will not waste an ounce of your suffering. Everything that you have gone through in this life, God will use for good. That is the promise that he's made to you. That's a trust thing. you got to believe that to be true. And that changes the way you suffer. That changes the way you handle trials. You can have hope. And it also means this recent school shooting. It's not the end of the story. There's hope. And somehow God is going to, this is the promise, somehow he's going to make everything come undone like all the wrong is going to come undone it's going to become untrue and we'll live in a world where yes there's this remembrance of everything that was wrong there but somehow the remembrance of it makes eternity all the greater for us and all the worst things that you have ever done have been erased this is the absolute truth that brings the most good put every religion to the test it's the religion, it's the belief system. You know, if you don't like religion, that word religion, fine, it's the belief system. It's, it's, it's true. It's, it's the, it's, it sets the captives free. It binds up the brokenhearted. It brings us favor with God, whom we have sinned against. It comforts the mourners. It brings beauty up out of the ashes. I mean, think about that. There's ashes before us, and beauty comes out of it like a beautiful oak. God did that. That's the promise of Christianity. He brings joy out of the sorrow. And he gives bravery to cowards like Peter. Nothing else will give you what Christianity does. Nothing else will give you a God who's died for you. Nothing else... I mean, and really mean it. Not like, like, okay, there's a mythology that says that this happened and this happened. It's similar to Christianity. I don't even care about that. You know why I say that? Because every mythology that's been thunk up, it's just it's the dreaming of humanity to search for the truth. We're investigating it through stories. And this is the myth that's become fact. This is what Christianity is. No other religion, no other belief system gives you a God who has bled to pay for your sins who has ransomed you by his own suffering. No other religion, no other belief system has a God who had the spikes of death driven into him so you might be healed. 
No other, nothing else will give you a God who is just and wrathful, but then makes a way with his perfect and beautiful love by Christ saying, I will take it all. I will drink the cup of wrath so that you don't have to. And so that means you get justice and love at the same time. You gotta, look, if there are no absolutes, then that means there's not right or wrong. And that means justice can never be done. This is why Christianity keeps rising up. Test everything. Nothing else will give you a God who's willing to descend into hell, into the abyss, into the nothingness, into like evil, and then fight for you there. And humble himself, and then break through death. And after he breaks through death, he sows death shut, so it's buried then in its own grave. Nothing else gives you this. And nothing else gives you a world that one day will come where there's no hurting, there's no death, there's no pain. Tears have been wiped away. But not only that, like this feeling of joyful ecstasy that is never ending, that you're never bored by, but somehow each chapter in eternity is better than the last one. And you think, no, how could it be? How could it be? But you're, you, you are just erupting with joy. Nothing else gives you that. And the best part of all of this is that it's all true, absolutely true. There's nothing holding you back except for you and your fear of wrestling with the truth that will cause a complete paradigm shift in your life, but wrestle with it. Go like headlong into it because it's worth it and you'll come out on the other side changed. Let's pray. Father, your goodness and your beauty and your truth, we want it, and we want to have the courage to wrestle with it. We want to have the courage to be corrected by you. We want to be humbled, not thinking we've got everything figured out, that if we did meet before you, we wouldn't say, God, look at all the things that I know. Look how I live, but we would say, God, teach me how to live. Correct my ways. Try me and know me. And lead me in the way everlasting. God, we need you to do that. Help us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL. And check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.